you know what? It's really fun to be here. Most of you people know, know John as an athlete. I know him as a person as well. John, if I had a son, if he was like John, I'd be the happiest man in the world. He gets it out deep, and Havlicek steals it over the stand zone. Havlicek stole the ball. It's all over. It's all over. Here come the Celtics. Clock will start when it's touched. Havlicek touches it. It begins. Three seconds. Hondo off the glass. What more can I say? Thank you, Boston. I love you. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? How are we doing? How are we doing? And welcome to episode number 41, shout out to James Posey, of the Banner Banter Podcast. I am your host and favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder, Timmy G. What's going on? How are we doing? We're up one nothing in round two against the number one seed Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, baby. Gotta love it. Celtics win on the road, 112-90. 22-point win on the road. Obviously, a lot of Celtics fans, including myself, are feeling fergalicious, as some would like to say. And I'm very excited about the win, but during this podcast, I'm going to say a lot of good things. I'm going to say a lot of reasonable things to make sure that we don't get too high on our high horses after that win, okay? Just to come back down to earth a little bit because we still got to win three more and the Bucks are still the best team in the Eastern Conference. But let's just, right off the bat, let's just talk about how the Celtics have won all three of their road games so far in the playoffs. Isn't that delightful? It's beautiful. Because last year, they only won one road game. One road game. They only won one road game against the 76ers. And they've already won three. That's insanity. Absolutely insanity. And you know what also is pretty cool? They're also the only undefeated team left in the NBA playoffs this year. In both conferences. Take that home, chew it. But let's let's get right into it. Right off the bat, Brad Stevens comes out of left field, changes the starting lineup, takes Aaron Baines out, puts Marcus Morris back in. I was okay with that, but I was kind of bipolar towards Aaron Baines today. Aaron Baines' physicality, Aaron Baines' willingness on the defensive end to really not care if he gets posterized by the Greek freak was very impressive. But at the same time, it was also really annoying because there was early in the game, you could notice, and Hubie Brown mentioned it as well, the weak side help between Marcus Morris, Al Horford, when they were working together was fantastic because Giannis is one of those guys, the Greek freak. I'm, I'm you know, just like last week, I'm going to be calling him Giannis, I'm going to call him Giannis, I'm going to call him the Greek freak, the really good guy on the Milwaukee Bucks. He can get to the basket so well going baseline. And I think Brad Stevens realized that, and he really helped with trying to figure out, okay, Giannis can do one of two things. Number one, he can skip it across the court to Brooke Lopez to shoot a three, or Giannis will probably make the right play and just pass it out, and then Al Horford or Marcus Morris can then recover to the opposite side before the ball gets to the person that they're supposed to be defending. And that's perfect. 
but it doesn't work out that well when Aaron Baines is on because Al Horford or Marcus Morris, when the Greek freak takes that first step, they can stay with him, but Aaron Baines can't. So when Aaron Baines can't, that won't give the weak side defender enough opportunity to come over to help where with Marcus Morris or Al Horford, they can kind of maybe get one or two steps in. And then next thing you know, the help's there where with Baines, it's just one step, two steps, the guy's not there enough. And then it's an easy bucket for him. So I was physicality wise, he's, he's needed. I'm actually surprised we like a lot of people were talking about the muscle factory, including myself, you know, I, everyone was talking about how semi Ojale was going to play a lot. And he really didn't. He only played eight minutes. He was a minus one. He scored two points. And a lot of that time was probably when the Celtics were up like 20 plus points towards the end of the game. So maybe Brad's going to throw another wrinkle at the Bucks in game two. Who knows? But I really was happy with Marcus Morris, Al Horford, their weak side defense, and Aaron Baines' physicality, but maybe not his quickness. That could hurt him a little bit. Absolutely. And it kind of sucked that once again, Aaron Baines has the worst luck with ankles. He always lands on everyone's feet. He rolled his ankle he, in, I think it was the third quarter, left for a little bit, came back. Celtics Twitter did tweet out that he was able to play if necessary, and obviously he wasn't necessary because of everything that was going on in this game. But to get kind of get back into the beginning of the game, Jalen Brown got a lot of great looks to start this game. I thought Jalen Brown played a solid game, 8 of 14. You know, the person that he was going to be guarding, Chris Middleton, he was 5 of 12. You know, Jalen scored 19 points. It was very, very good. You know, of course, he didn't have any assists, but that's fine, right? <laughs> but yeah, anyways, he got a lot of great looks. And one thing that I was really interested in what the Celtics kind of did early on is they tried to get Jalen in the post. And what they did was instead of Morris or Horford setting the double screen for Kyrie that they always do at the top of the key, they actually set one up for Jalen because they know that the Bucks will switch. And then Jalen jumped on the post against Bledsoe. And Jalen's a really good guy in the post. He can hit that fadeaway. He can also face guard or face up with you pretty well and attack the basket either with his left or right hand. And because it's only one or two dribbles, then it's fine. Jalen sucks at dribbling when it's like four or five dribbles out. So that was good. But early on in the game as well, Chris Middleton was hitting some shots. I mean, Tatum was in his face. Jalen Brown was in his face, like hands in the face. Good contested shots. They were flying out at him. There really weren't a lot of open shots for Chris Middleton. I mean, Chris Middleton is an amazing shooter. He's going to get his. I really like Chris Middleton. I got no issues against him. Obviously not a fan of him throughout this little playoff series that we have with the Milwaukee Bucks. But for, I mean, that's a solid game that Chris Middleton had, you know, 16 points, five of 12 from the field, six dimes, 10 boards, but was a minus 11. You'll take that any day of the week if you're, if you're the Celtics. So I was really happy with the way that they were contesting Middleton shots. I thought that was going to be a very, very important thing. And one thing that I was also really thrilled with, especially late in the first quarter was Kyrie versus George Hill. George Hill is an amazing veteran. George Hill is one of those guys you want on your team. He can still play. Obviously, he was better back in his days with the Pacers when they were going on their runs with like Jermaine O'Neal and stuff. But the Pacers, I'm sorry, but George Hill, he's good. But I'll take him defending Kyrie any day of the week. And I will also take Eric Bledsoe over Terry Rozier any day of the week because I... I really and truly think that that this is going to work out in the Celtics' advantage. Maybe Bledsoe just had an off game, okay? But every single time I noticed, whenever Rozier was out on the court, the same time Bledsoe was, Bledsoe tried so much harder versus when he wasn't. 
And I think that's going to be very interesting to watch in game two because Terry Rozier, guys, was crazy in this game. He, he was second team rebounding. He had nine rebounds, two rebounds behind Al Horford. And he had 11 points. It was a plus 13. And you look at Bledsoe, one of five. He only played 25 minutes. He, had, he was a minus 12. Like, he sucked in this game. Five shots for Eric Bledsoe. That's crazy. He's already in his own head, and I'm going to give you an example of that later on, especially in the third quarter. That was a play that, like, I couldn't believe it. Like, as a Celtics fan, I was just like, I, I was yelling at him to do something, and I, I didn't even want him to do something. It was crazy. But I know I keep saying but a lot, but, 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 but. There was one run that the Celtics had. They went on a 17-3 run in the first quarter, and it was absolutely crazy. And one thing that I noticed that I thought that the Bucks did a really good job with, and it'll be interesting to see how Brad kind of changes it up, is they were really good with re-switching. And let me explain that. Like, I don't even think that's a basketball term, to be honest with you, but maybe it is. So basically, you know, when someone goes in and sets a screen, and someone says switch, that means, hey, you get the guy with the ball, I'll get your guy, and you don't you know, you're now defending someone different. That way you don't have to fight through the screen. But they would switch. Hayward would notice that, pull the ball back like he usually does, and then they, the Bucks would switch back. So it's like the pick never happened, and now Gordon Hayward's further away from the hoop. And I thought that was really, really interesting. And a great job of Mike Busenhoser from the Bucks to kind of come up with that type of game plan because the Marcus Morris-Gordon Hayward pick and roll is... So many things can come out of that. You can have a Gordon drive, a Marcus Morris jumper. He could tack the basket a little bit, shoot you know, that free throw jumper that he does. Gordon could swing the ball around because Gordon's a great passer. There's so many different things you could do, and it was absolutely crazy. But when I really, really, really got nervous about this game is with about two minutes to go, the Celtics were up eight, and Terry Rozier came running down the floor. I, I don't I forget if it was if it was after a long rebound or a turnover. Terry didn't get any steals in this game, so maybe it was someone else. Either way, he came running down the court, and Bledsoe was waiting for him. And he was like, I don't want to pick up an offensive foul. He stopped dead in his tracks and just spun around and passed the ball to Hayward, and then Hayward got the offensive foul. And this is where the frustration with Terry Rozier can happen from time to time because Terry Rozier should have just dribbled that out, realized, hey, I'm probably going to get an offensive charge call, and instead he let Gordon Hayward get the offensive charge call. And the crowd kind of got back into it, and that's when I was just like, fuck, this isn't going to be good. This is going to be good. And then the first quarter ended, and it was fine. They were up nine. They let the Bucks shoot 5-19 from the field. You felt really good. I think the Greek Freak only had one field goal, maybe two field goals made. You were, you were feeling pretty good. But then the Celtics went up 15 thanks to an Aaron Baines three-pointer. And I was talking to my, my buddy Drew and my buddy Carl during that, and I didn't feel good. I didn't feel good. That Aaron Baines hitting catch-and-shoot three-pointers to put your team up 15 on the road in round two of the playoffs when you're the lower seed just screams the basketball gods going, huh, watch this. We're going to screw you guys over. And that's what happened. Right after Aaron Baines hit that three, the Milwaukee Bucks went on a 15-0 run. And I was kind of looking more in depth like as it was happening like through the play-by-play thing on nba.com it was six possessions in under three minutes that the bucks went on that 15-0 run that's like golden state warriors type stuff they hit three three-pointers Mirchich 
hit three three-pointers off the bench in a row. No, I don't want to say in a row. During that run. He was, I think, three of five overall from three. But he went three of three during this 15-0 run. And they did it in six possessions in under three minutes. And I think that's going to be really, really important for the Celtics in game two and for the rest of the series. Maintain their runs because they love to shoot. And I bet you they hit three. Well, I know they hit three. Maybe they hit four three-pointers throughout that entire stretch in those three minutes. They can jack up those shots real quick, and they'll make them because they did it in six straight possessions. It was absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. And what was even crazier about the second quarter is, yes, the Celtics gave up a buttload of points, and obviously, you know, they kept the Bucks under 20 points twice in the first and fourth quarter, or the first and the third quarter. But in the second quarter, as always, the Celtics sucked. They gave up 32, 33 points to the Bucks. But the Bucks were a lot better with the Greek freak on the bench. And that was so weird to me. If you look at that 15-0 run, the Greek freak wasn't part of it. Middleton was out there, Ilyasova was out there, Miracic was out there, I think Sterling Brown was out there. I can't remember if Bledsoe was out there, and maybe Brooke Lopez was out there. But yeah, it was the Greek freak wasn't out there. And that was wild to me. Absolutely wild. And when the Celtics went on that little five or six oh run to start the second quarter to expand the lead to fifteen, Al Horford wasn't out there. So it was like what is going on here? This is so bizarre. Like, this shouldn't be happening. Horford on the bench, but the Celtics playing well. The Greek freak on the bench, but the Bucks playing well. Like, that's just not what you're expecting in the playoffs. Maybe some random February regular season game, but not the case there. At halftime, the Celtics were up two, and you had to say to yourself, all right, we'll take that. You know, the rebounding was even. That's great. The Celtics had more fast break points. That's great, which means they were playing at a better pace than the Bucks. And one of my big five keys was pace, pace, pace. And the Bucks took three more three pointers than the Celtics, and they made three more three pointers than the Celtics. So you got you, you really had to say to yourself, "Okay, we survived that second quarter. God, did that suck!" But you know what? That's okay. That's okay. We we got through the worst part of the game, and now it can only get better. So the third quarter happened, and I was. I kind of got a little nervous again because obviously the Bucks took over the lead and it was after the Greek freak. I have to watch maybe some of his plays and, and drives in slow motion. What I thought there was a few times where he traveled really, really bad, but there were also a few times where the Celtics fouled him really, really bad and he didn't go to the free throw line. And we'll talk about that in a bit, but there were a couple times where he, I thought he really traveled. And, and in this one instance, he traveled so bad. I think everyone in the Celtics organization, like even people who weren't even in Milwaukee just stopped what they were doing because they thought they were going to call it travel, and they didn't. And he took, the Greek freak took a terrible shot, got a rebound, Brooke Lopez stuck a three, his only shot that he hit all game because he was like one of five and four of those. Brooke Lopez, he's a center. He took like five shots and four of them were from three-pointer. So that just shows that like these dudes, it's the Greek freak attacking the basket and everyone else shooting threes. That's basically what it is. So the Celtics, I thought, did a great job finding out, all right, cool, we're going to contest all your shots, good luck making them, and then we're going to make you feel uncomfortable if you don't want to take that shot, and you suck at driving the basket. And then there were times where Giannis, or Giannis, or whatever, however the you pronounce that mother, 
his name. Like, <laughs> I can't figure it out, so I'm really sorry. I know that's probably confusing some people, but the Greek freak took, like, five three-pointers in this game, and he made three of them. Like, he was even afraid to attack the basket, so I felt like the Celtics forced everything that the Bucks liked to do and made him do the other things, and that was fantastic. But right after Brooke Lopez hit that three, the Celtics just kind of nut up and shut up, and they just were taking great shots. They were taking the right shots. You know, I, I feel like Brad Stevens is the type of guy, if you're taking the right shot versus a four shot and it doesn't fall, that's fine. They will. And eventually did start it in the fall for the Celtics. And there was one point in the third quarter where I really was just like, okay, it's going down. I think we may have this. And that was, remember in the Pacers series in round one, uh, Darren Collinson would come off a screen and just be wide open at the free throw line and, you know, lean in and shoot that jumper. And Eric Bledsoe did that. And he just stopped in his tracks. He, like, looked to his left, looked to his right, looked at the basket, looked behind you. And even as a Celtics fan, I was just like, shoot, shoot the ball. Like, what are you doing? You you idiot. What like what in God's name are you doing? And he, like, passed the ball around. The Bucks didn't score. Celtics went down and scored a, ba- uh, scored a basket. It was absolutely incredible. And then a couple minutes later, at the 5.15 mark of the third quarter, the Greek freak went up for a second chance dunk, and Al Horford sent the ball down to the deep, deep layers of hell, and something moved in my pants. That block on the Greek freak was wild. Oh, just thinking about it. What an experience. My God. God, that was absolutely incredible. And because of that, let's get into our stud and dud of the game. Playoff edition. And now, it is time for your Celtic stud and dud playoff edition. Okay, so no surprise here. The stud of the game is Al Horford. He did such a great job on the Greek Freak defensively. Really made his life a living hell. And yes, in the first quarter, Al Horford really effing pissed me off. He really pissed me off. He was missing wide open jumpers from inside the three-point line, behind the three-point line. But right after that 15-minute mark, the Al Horford, the 15 minute mark the five minute and 15 second mark after he made that block the Kyrie Irving and Al Horford pick and pop show happened and it was delightful every single time Kyrie would go and pass the ball to Horford and he hit a shot I was kind of like that comedian like Jimmy Carr you know who I'm talking about he has a, like that really like awkward laugh, but it's like I'm so excited, but I'm like I'm also mentally insane type laugh. Here it is. Here here's an example for you. And this was basically me after probably the third or fourth pick and pop that was a successful pick and pop for the Celtics between Kyrie and Al Horford. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like you know like? <laughs> This is great. And that's basically what it was. But Al Horford, your stud and dud of the game, 50% from the field, 11 boards, 20 points, three blocks, a plus eight, three assists. He was just fantastic. 
only he only played 31 minutes too. The only thing that I'm a little scared about is like you need Al Horford, okay? If the Celtics want to advance, and I need, and if they do advance, he's got to be healthy, and you're not going to get another six days off. So the wear and tear on Al Horford's body and knees in these next, whether it's six games, seven games, five games against the Bucks, he's going to have to go through a lot. So I hope he he loves his chocolate milk commercial. So I really hope he recovers well. I I really do. But he is the stud of the game, and the dud of the game. You know, not a lot of bad things happened, but Jason Tatum just wasn't himself in this game. You know, two of seven, he had three blocks. Morris, Horford, and Tatum each had three blocks, which was crazy, which just shows the weak side defense and how much it helped because there were times where Horford would need Tatum and Morris would need Horford and Horford would need Morris and Tatum would be, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So the fact that those three guys right there had nine blocks and the Bucks' entire team only had two, Huge. Absolutely huge. But Jason Tatum only took seven shots. I don't like that. Nope. I'm sorry. I understand that Jalen Brown took 14. Well-deserved. He got a good rhythm early. So maybe next game Brad takes some of those Jalen Brown shots and gives them to Jason Tatum. That's fine. But he just didn't look like himself. But he's he has to play well in this series for the Celtics to do well. Just like he did with the Pacers. He played very well in all the Pacers games. And he was great. He was absolutely great. And then there was one part that made me kind of feel like really uncomfortable. And he, Daniel Tyson, Jason Tatum had, did a pick and roll and Tatum threw a lob and Tyson caught it and dunked it. It was like something I thought I would never see ever. And it happened and it was cool, I think, but also made me like feel really uncomfortable too. But after the, the whole pick and pop scenario with Al Horford and Kyrie Irving that made me do this. <laughs> Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward went on an 8-0 run of their own, and it was awesome. Terry Rozier stuck a jumper, like a 11 or 12-foot jumper. Then Hayward passed the ball to Terry for an assist. Terry stuck a three, and then the next possession down, Terry Rozier passed the ball to Hayward. He stuck a three. It was lovely. I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. But the negative about that is the Bucks bench outscored the Celtics bench. And that shouldn't happen. And maybe I'm I'm saying it shouldn't happen because Morris is now in the starting lineup and Baines isn't. Because if you think if you have Morris, Rogier, Hayward, and maybe Tice out there, that the Celtics would score more points off the bench. And if you switch in, you know, thinking about it, if you take Marcus Morris and switch it with Baines out there, then yeah, the Celtics bench did outscore the Bucks. But overall, I just need a little bit more production from the bench. You know, if Hayward can get me 17, if Terry can get me 11, if maybe Shemi Ojale could get maybe four or five points. I mean, Baines had four, but only played nine minutes. I'm fine with that. But just a little bit more production from the bench, I, I, I think will be will be very, very good. And finally, I really don't have a lot to say about the fourth quarter, but obviously the Celtics went into the fourth quarter. What was it? They were up, they were up a lot. And the Bucks kind of creeped in a little bit. And then Jalen Brown. You know, guys, I'm, I'm really trying my best to be on the Jalen Brown fan wagon. I, I really am. But there was a play where the ball went out of bounds. It was going out of bounds. It was going to be the Bucks ball no matter what you did, Jalen Brown. And there is one thing that I've learned in my basketball career, or life, and it was from Coach O'Keefe from Chelmsford High School, never save the ball under your own basket 
that you're defending. And Jalen Brown did that. And he gave it right to the Greek freak for a dunk. They kind of cut it down to like 11 or 12 points at that point. And I was like, if that's going to be the play where this crowd gets back in this game, and that's the play where they're going to cut down this lead to single digits, Jalen Brown, I'm going to find you and I'm going to hurt you. But it worked out for the Celtics, so I'm okay with it. But that literally brought me back to like my high school basketball playing days of like, I did it one time and I thought I was going to die. I really did. And it was absolutely crazy. The five keys to the game. Remember, the five keys to the series from episode 40. Free throw attempts, rebounding, turnovers, points in the paint, and pace. In my opinion, those were the five most important things. The Bucks this season averaged, during the regular season, about 104 for a pace. And guess what? The Celtics held them to 100. Love it. The Celtics, they're also at 100 during the regular season. So the Celtics didn't move. The Bucks went down. So the Celtics made the Bucks play their game. And I loved it. The turnover battle. They lost the turnover battle. But that's okay because things are improving. The Bucks only had nine turnovers. And the Celtics, game one, round one, 17. Game two, round one, 14. Game three, round one. Game three, round one. Yeah, I said that right. 13 turnovers. And then they had 16 turnovers in the series closeout against the Pacers. But this... They had 11. We're improving, folks. We're improving. So take away game take away game four of the closeout series. 17, 14, 13. Forget about it. And then 11. So it's going down game by game. I love it. I love it. I love it. And then rebounding. The Celtics won the rebounding battle. Yes. They won 51 to 44. They won by seven. Even if they won 51 to 50, I would be this excited. But they won the rebounding battle. So right now the Celtics are 2 for three on the five things that I've asked for them to do in this series on what I think is going to be the big difference. Then, points in the paint. Do not tempt me with a good time, Boston Celtics. Are you fucking kidding me? They won 38 to 26. Me ow. <laughs> Love it. 38 to 26. The team that sucks in the paint. 38. The team that's unbelievable in the paint. The Bucks. 26. Yes, I love it. But the free throw attempts. Oh my God, the free throw attempts. The Celtics only took eight free throws in this game. The first free throw came at the four-minute mark of the second quarter by Gordon Hayward. Are you kidding me? It took you 20 minutes of playing basketball to get to the free throw line? That's unbelievable. Speaking of unbelievable, Kyrie, 25 points, 10 assists. First time ever in the NBA, ever he's ever done that in his playoff career. And that dude couldn't hit a free, couldn't get to the free throw line once. If you want to blame it on the officials, I disagree with you. The Celtics need to get to the free throw line more. Hayward, Baines, Rogier, the bench guys, six free throws. Horford, Tatum, Morris, Brown, Kyrie combined two free throws. Your starters cannot take two free throws combined in the NBA playoffs and think that you can go far. Sure, it worked in this game. Awesome. But it will not work in game two or game three or game four or game five. Okay? The Bucks took 24. That has to change. Even if that was like 25, even if it was 24-14, I'd feel so much better about it. 
Seriously. Go to the free throw line. Attack the basket. I understand when you're taking the good shots because they're wide open at the elbow, fine. But every once in a while, just try and go to the free throw line. Please, 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 please. So what can the Celtics do in game two? What can they do to, to make themselves look pretty going in to game three in Boston on Friday night? <sighs> good question. It's a good question. And to be honest with you, I just wanted a split. I really did. I think getting a split here was huge. So if you can go up 2 nothing, that's great. Number one, throw the house at the Greek freak. Do it again. Throw everyone at him. But realize, as the organization, as the players and the coaches and the fans, he's going to get more calls. He went to the free throw line 10 times. He probably could have gone to the free throw line like 20 times. Okay? Like 20 attempts. He's going to shoot at least 15 free throws in game two. You can quote me on that. And if I'm wrong, fine. That means that's a good thing. He's going to get some calls. He's not going to shoot three or five from three again. He's going to attack the basket. He'll, he'll probably take a three or two. You know, he's not scared like Ben Simmons. But he's going to take so many more shots at the rim, so many more free throw attempts. So the Celtics have to be prepared, be prepared, be prepared for that and have to be physical with him. Seriously, that's what they have to do. Just throw the house at him. Number two. Maintain their runs. I mentioned that earlier. That 15-0 run, six possessions, three minutes, absolutely insane. Let it be an 8-0 run. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Like, basketball is a game of runs. Everyone knows that. Celtics went on a run, 17-3. Then, you know, the Bucks had their run, 15-0. And then Rogier and Hayward went on their own, 8-0. They're bound to happen. But just maintain it. Don't let it get up to 15, okay? Just don't let it get up to 15. Because the Bucks love to jack up three-pointers. And the Celtics hit 13. The Bucks hit 13, but the Bucks took eight more. So if the Bucks make a couple more threes, next thing you know, it's 112.96 is your final score, and you don't maybe feel as confident. You know, you still feel as confident, but not as confident. Make Eric Bledsoe and Brooke Lopez non-factors. That's number three. Make them non-factors. Let it be Middleton. Let it be the Greek freak against the nine Celtics, nine or ten Celtics players that are going to be playing in this game. Let it let it be like that. Let it be Bledsoe. I mean, uh, let it be Middleton and the Greek Freak and let Bledsoe and Lopez combine. I think they went like two for ten combined. Sure. Love it. Let's go. I'll take it. Number four, take the right shots. Take the right shots. Just like you did in the third quarter. Not the shot you want to take. Not the shot that you feel like you have to take. The right shot. It will work out. Number five. Rebound, 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 rebound. I just said rebound five times for number five. Rebound the basketball. They did such a great job with it. It was phenomenal. So you got to do that again. Keep defending that paint. I'm not expecting the Celtics to win the points in the paint battle again in this series, but just keep it close. You know, like, for example, if they lost today 38 to 30, that's fine. Just don't lose like 38 to 12. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Don't lose that battle. And then finally, don't get cocky. The Celtics are still the underdogs in this city, in this series. They're still the four seed. Sure, if they technically took advantage of home court, now it's 3-3. If it has to go seven games, but don't get cocky. Give me that underdog mentality. Go in, locked in, laser focused like you did for game one. That's what you got to do for game two. Now, we obviously are feeling good. I obviously talked a little bit more 
than, than I wanted to tonight for the podcast, which is fine. I'm trying to make these post-game ones only like 20 to 25 minutes long, and this one's going to end up being like 35 minutes long, so I'm sorry. But I got to bring everyone back to earth. In the last 10 years, there have been four teams in the playoffs on the road that have won game one of their playoff series by 15 points or more. Okay? The Clippers in 2014, the Clippers in 2017, the Rockets in 2017, Pacers in 2018. All four of those teams lost the series. Clippers in 14, Clippers in 15, Rockets in 17, Pacers in 18, all won on the road by 15 points in game one of their series, and they lost the series. Celtics just won by 15 points or more. So there's me bringing you back to earth. It's a huge win. Keep your eye on the prize, but stay locked in and laser focused, and let's not get too too high on the kite. And finally, John Havlicek. Rest in peace. One of the greatest Celtics players of all time, if not the greatest. He, I mean, points. No one has scored more points in Boston Celtics history than John Havlicek. Rest in peace to Hondo. Havlicek stole the ball. I hope you guys liked the tribute that I gave him early to start this podcast. Absolutely unbelievable player. I'm sure my dad loved watching him. Incredible, incredible basketball player. And from all the stories that I've heard, he was even a better person. So John Havlicek, rest in peace. And I hope Banner 18 can be raised up in your memory pretty soon. So that's it for this week's podcast, guys. Congrats to the Celtics on getting one. Still need to get three more in this series. We got six chances to do it. So toodles and noodles, X's and O's. Rest in peace to John Havlicek. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. Sorry, but I'm gone. I'm history. And I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans of Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.